This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Innocents Abroad by Mark Twain, Chapter 41. Vandalism Prohibited. Angry Pilgrims. Approaching Holy Land. The Shrill Note of Preparation. Distress about Dragomans and Transportation. The Long Route Adopted. In Syria. Something about Beirut. A choice specimen of Greek Ferguson. Outfits. Hideous horseflesh. Pilgrim style. What's of Aladdin's lamp? When I last made a memorandum, we were at Ephesus. We are in Syria now, encamped in the mountains of Lebanon. The interregnum has been long, both as to time and distance. We brought not a relic from Ephesus. After gathering up fragments of sculptured marbles, and breaking ornaments from the interior work of the mosques, and after bringing them at a cost of infinite trouble and fatigue, five miles on mule-back to the railway depot, a government officer compelled all who had such things to disgorge. He had an order from Constantinople to look out for our party, and see that we carried nothing off. It was a wise, a just, and a well-deserved rebuke, but it created a sensation. I never resist a temptation to plunder a stranger's premises without feeling insufferably vain about it. This time I felt proud beyond expression. I was serene in the midst of the scoldings that were heaped upon the Ottoman government for its affront offered to a pleasuring party of entirely respectable gentlemen and ladies, I said, We that have free souls, it touches us not. The shoe not only pinched our party, but it pinched hard. A principal sufferer discovered that the imperial order was enclosed in an envelope bearing the seal of the British Embassy at Constantinople, and therefore must have been inspired by the representative of the Queen. This was bad, very bad. Coming solely from the Ottomans, it might have signified only Ottoman hatred of Christians, and a vulgar ignorance as to genteel methods of expressing it. But coming from the Christianized, educated, politic British legation, it simply intimated that we were a sort of gentlemen and ladies who would bear watching. So the party regarded it, and were incensed accordingly. The truth, doubtless, was that the same precautions would have been taken against any travellers, because the English company who have acquired the right to excavate Ephesus, and have paid a great sum for that right, need to be protected, and deserve to be. They cannot afford to run the risk of having their hospitality abused by travellers, especially since travellers are such notorious scorners of honest behaviour. We sailed from Smyrna, in the wildest spirit of expectancy, for the chief feature, the grand goal of the expedition, was near at hand. We were approaching the Holy Land. Such a burrowing into the hold for trunks that had lain buried for weeks, yes, for months! Such a hurrying to and fro above decks and below! such a riotous system of packing and unpacking, such a littering up of the cabins with shirts and skirts, and indescribable and unclassable odds and ends, such a making up of bundles, and setting apart of umbrellas, green spectacles, and thick veils, such a critical inspection of saddles and bridles that had never yet touched horses, such a cleaning and loading of revolvers and examining of bowie-knives, such a half-soling of the seats of pantaloons with serviceable buckskin, then such a poring over ancient maps, such a reading up of Bibles and Palestine travels, such a marking out of routes, 
such exasperating efforts to divide up the company into little bands of congenial spirits who might make the long and arduous journey without quarrelling, and, morning, noon, and night, such mass-meetings in the cabins, such speech-making, such sage-suggesting, such worrying and quarrelling, and such a general raising of the very mischief, was never seen in the ship before. But it is all over now. We are cut up into parties of six or eight, and by this time are scattered far and wide. Ours is the only one, however, that is venturing on what is called the long trip, that is, out into Syria by Baalbek to Damascus, and thence down through the full length of Palestine. It would be a tedious and also a too risky journey at this hot season of the year for any but strong, healthy men accustomed somewhat to fatigue and rough life in the open air. The other parties will take shorter journeys. For the last two months we have been in a worry about one portion of this Holy Land pilgrimage. I refer to transportation service. We knew very well that Palestine was a country which did not do a large passenger business, and every man we came across who knew anything about it gave us to understand that not half of our company would be able to get dragomen and animals. At Constantinople everybody fell to telegraphing the American consuls at Alexandria and Beirut to give notice that we wanted dragomen and transportation. We were desperate, would take horses, jackasses, camelopards, kangaroos, anything. At Smyrna more telegraphing was done, to the same end. Also fearing for the worst, we telegraphed for a large number of seats in the diligence for Damascus and horses for the ruins of Baalbek. As might have been expected, a notion got abroad in Syria and Egypt that the whole population of the province of America—the Turks consider us a trifling little province in some unvisited corner of the world—were coming to the Holy Land. And so, when we got to Beirut yesterday, we found the place full of dragomen and their outfits. We had all intended to go by diligence to Damascus, and switch off to Baalbek as we went along, because we expected to rejoin the ship, go to Mount Carmel, and take to the woods from there. However, when our own private party of eight found that it was possible, and proper enough, to make the long trip, we adopted that program. We have never been much trouble to a consul before, but we have been a fearful nuisance to our consul at Beirut. I mention this because I cannot help admiring his patience, his industry, and his accommodating spirit. I mention it also because I think some of our ship's company did not give him as full credit for his excellent services as he deserved. Well, out of our eight, three were selected to attend to all business connected with the expedition. The rest of us had nothing to do but look at the beautiful city of Beirut, with its bright, new houses nestled among a wilderness of green shrubbery spread abroad over an upland that sloped gently down to the sea, and also at the mountains of Lebanon that environ it, and likewise to bathe in the transparent blue water that rolled its billows about the ship. We did not know there were sharks there. We had also to range up and down through the town and look at the costumes. These are picturesque and fanciful, but not so varied as at Constantinople and Smyrna. The women of Beirut add an agony. In the two former cities the sex wear a thin veil which one can see through, and they often expose their ankles. But at Beirut they cover their entire faces with dark-colored or black veils, so that they look like mummies, and then expose their breasts to the public. A young gentleman—I believe he was a Greek—volunteered to show us around the city, and said it would afford him great pleasure, 
because he was studying English and wanted practice in that language. When we had finished the rounds, however, he called for remuneration, said he hoped the gentleman would give him a trifle in the way of a few piastres, equivalent to a few five-cent pieces. We did so. The consul was surprised when he heard it, and said he knew the young fellow's family very well, and that they were an old and highly respectable family, and worth a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Some people so situated would have been ashamed of the berth he had with us, and his manner of crawling into it. At the appointed time our business committee reported, and said all things were in readiness, that we were to start to-day, with horses, pack-animals, and tents, and go to Baalbek, Damascus, the Sea of Tiberias, and thence southward by the way of the scene of Jacob's dream and other notable Bible localities to Jerusalem, from thence probably to the Dead Sea, but possibly not, and then strike for the ocean and rejoin the ship, three or four weeks hence, at Joppa. Terms, five dollars a day apiece, in gold, and everything to be furnished by the dragoman. They said we would lie as well as at a hotel. I had read something like that before, and did not shame my judgment by believing a word of it. I said nothing, however, but packed up a blanket and a shawl to sleep in, pipes and tobacco, two or three woolen shirts, a portfolio, a guide-book, and a Bible. I also took along a towel and a cake of soap, to inspire respect in the Arabs, who would take me for a king in disguise. We were to select our horses at three p.m. At that hour Abraham, the dragoman, marshalled them before us. With all solemnity I set it down here, that those horses were the hardest lot I ever did come across, and their accoutrements were in exquisite keeping with their style. One brute had an eye out, another had his tail sawed off close, like a rabbit, and was proud of it. Another had a bony ridge running from his neck to his tail, like one of those ruined aqueducts one sees about Rome, and had a neck on him like a bowsprit. They all limped, and had sore backs, and likewise raw places, and old scales scattered about their persons, like brass nails in a hair-trunk. Their gates were marvellous to contemplate, and replete with variety, underway the procession looked like a fleet in a storm. It was fearful. Blucher shook his head, and said, "'That dragon is going to get himself into trouble fetching these old crates out of the hospital the way they are, unless he has got a permit.' I said nothing. The display was exactly according to the guide-book, and were we not travelling by the guide-book? I selected a certain horse, because I thought I saw him shy, and I thought that a horse that had a spirit enough to shy was not to be despised. At six o'clock p.m. we came to a halt here, on the breezy summit of a shapely mountain overlooking the sea, and the handsome valley where dwelt some of those enterprising Phoenicians of ancient times we read so much about. All around us are what were once the dominions of Hiram, king of Tyre, who furnished timber from the cedars of these Lebanon hills to build portions of King Solomon's temple with. Shortly after six our pack-train arrived. I had not seen it before, and a good right I had to be astonished. We had nineteen serving-men and twenty-six pack-mules. It was a perfect caravan. It looked like one, too, as it wound among the rocks. I wondered what in the very mischief we wanted with such a vast turnout as that for eight men. I wondered a while, but soon I began to long for a tin plate and some bacon and beans. I had camped out many and many a time before, and knew just what was coming. I went off, without waiting for serving men, and unsaddled my horse, and washed such portions of his ribs and his spine as projected through his hide, and when I came back, behold, five stately circus tents were up 
tents that were brilliant within with blue and gold and crimson and all manner of splendid adornment. I was speechless. Then they brought eight little iron bedsteads and set them up in the tents. They put a soft mattress and pillows and good blankets and two snow-white sheets on each bed. Next they rigged a table about the center pole, and on it placed pewter pitchers, basins, soap, and the whitest of towels, one set for each man. They pointed to pockets in the tent, and said we could put our small trifles in them for convenience, and if we needed pins or such things, they were sticking everywhere. Then came the finishing touch. They spread carpets on the floor. I simply said, if you call this camping out, all right, but it isn't the style I am used to. My little baggage that I brought along is at a discount. It grew dark, and they put candles on the tables, candles set in bright new brazen candlesticks, and soon the bell, a genuine Simon-pure bell, rang, and we were invited to the saloon. I had thought before that we had a tent or so too many, but now here was one at least provided for. It was to be used for nothing but an eating saloon. Like the others, it was high enough for a family of giraffes to live in, and was very handsome and clean and bright-colored within. It was a gem of a place. A table for eight, and eight canvas chairs. A tablecloth and napkins whose whiteness and whose fineness laughed to scorn the things we were used to in the great excursion steamer. Knives and forks, soup-plates, dinner-plates, everything, in the handsomest kind of style. It was wonderful, and they call this camping out. Those stately fellows in baggy trousers and turbaned fezes brought in a dinner which consisted of roast mutton, roast chicken, roast goose, potatoes, bread, tea, pudding, apples, and delicious grapes. The viands were better cooked than any we had eaten for weeks, and the table made a finer appearance, with its large German silver candlesticks and other finery, than any table we had sat down to for a good while. And yet that plight dragoman, Abraham, came bowing in and apologizing for the whole affair, on account of the unavoidable confusion of getting under way for a very long trip, and promising to do a great deal better in future. It is midnight now, and we break camp at six in the morning. They call this camping out. At this rate, it is a glorious privilege to be a pilgrim to the Holy Land. End of chapter 41